Hey, good morning, Collective Church. Pastor Ryan here. Good to be gathering online with you again. Uh, I'm so grateful that we've had this technology over the past few weeks. We're even in the midst of this pandemic and in our whole city, really kind of coming to a stop and a close. Uh, we've still been able to gather each week to sing and study the scriptures during the week over Zoom to have our discipleship groups and even kind of a, 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 a form of our neighborhood dinner. I'm grateful for that technology. And also, just as we're coming into like six weeks of this now, I just want to say how grateful I am for each and every one of you who have continued to be faithful and engaged with our community over the past few weeks. I know that specifically as we've gotten into you know over a month now where this has been the the normal the uh, the uh, operating mode that we've been in I, I know for me uh, I, I'm beginning to hit the limits and and a level of exhaustion with all of these digitally mediated moments there's just kind of a is exhaustion that that, that that being intentional in community now is not only the normal level of that but also you know kind of preparing myself to be, you know, in front of another camera or in front of another screen. They've been a bunch of writings over the past two weeks in particular that we've now experiencing uh, what some are referring to as Zoom fatigue, where we uh, just have a deep exhaustion with um, what a mediated digital connection uh, brings with it. It makes me think back to the beginning of the Bible where we saw that, you know, God spoke over humanity that it's not good for man to be alone. And that being something that goes far deeper than just marriage. Uh, just experiencing that. This even digitally mediated um, takes a toll. I remember we were getting ready for our neighborhood dinner Zoom call on Tuesday and even my little three-year-old Emma, who, uh, you know, I was getting the computer all set up and she just kind of talked to me and she said, you know, Daddy, I miss, I miss Finley, one of the other little girls in our neighborhood dinner, but I don't want to see her on the screen. And, you know, we started poking and prodding, like, what's going on there? And uh, she just was like, you know, we see Grandma and Grandpa and we see our friends and, and she's, she's hitting that limit that I know many of us are. And so I just want to encourage everyone. I know I'm with you. Um, I, I, this, this to me has just been reminding me and revealing our deep need for embodied physical relationships and community, specifically as a church, but just encourage you to lean in with these teachings, lean in with your neighborhood dinner and with your discipleship group and, and just find ways uh, to continue in both analog and digital discipleship and community during this time. Find ways to change it up. Uh, whether that's like this past week, instead of doing a, a Zoom call with somebody, uh, we just had a phone call and just kind of sat and were able to just walk around the, and talk and uh, able to just reflect on how we're doing and, and what we're working through and the thoughts that we have without having to be in front of a screen was just a nice change of pace. Maybe writing letters, like I said, a normal phone call. There's been people in the church that uh, we've been um, exchanging little gifts and leaving things on their front porch. There's been a couple of you that I am so grateful to God for that have dropped off over the past few weeks, just surprised us with coffee and uh, thin Oreos. And uh, man, we're just so grateful for these little ways that we can find to be grateful, whether that's baking cookies and dropping them off. Um, just, just consider these analog ways where we're able to still socially distance and yet remind one another that we're there for each other, we care. I just want to encourage you. I know this is getting tiring. And uh, let's let's lean in and, uh, and and just be creative at the same time. That That goes further to also doing Bible engagement. I know for me, one of the nice things 
in not just preparing to teach, but in my own times of reading scripture and, and praying has been, you know, maybe sometimes I do that with the Bible app, but just to throw that, you know, maybe not throw it, but set that somewhere else in, in, in my room or in the house and just have some time where I'm like, no screens right now uh, has been uh, just a nice change of pace. Um, and so anyway, all that to say, I'm just, I want to say I'm, I'm grateful for technology, but I truly am grateful for those of you that even as we're getting to the limits of doing this for work and for community are continuing to lean in and find creative ways. Just thank you for those of you that are doing that and just encourage all of us to keep leaning into that. Um, but yeah, that, that brings us to our final two weeks um, where we are. We have been in this Take Heart series as we kind of went into the uh, shelter at home and doing these online services. We did these uh, weeks of looking at the take heart sayings of Jesus. And so we're in our final two before we go back to the gospel of Mark. And so we've been looking at, once again, these repeated cases where Jesus says, take heart to someone. This this word, take heart, it's a call to boldness, to not be afraid, to have a heart like iron is a way that you can understand it. It's a call to be firm or resolute in the face of adverse circumstances to be courageous in the midst of moments where courage becomes hard. We find Jesus saying this over and over and over again, and he's saying this over and over and over again because you and I need to hear it. The simple truth is you and I don't need to hear things repeatedly that come naturally to us. The CDC has had to keep telling everybody to stop touching your face and, and wash your hands, like really actually wash your hands. Because for so many of us, what do we constantly do? We touch our face. We constantly, um, maybe we wash our hands a little bit, if at all, but we're not doing the full 20 seconds and we're getting in and around everything that we need to. We have to repeat things that don't come naturally to us. I mean, Aaron doesn't normally have to ask me, uh, are, are you going to put on real pants today? <laughs> and, and yet in this moment, that's something that she's repeatedly asking me because like, why get out of sweatpants? Like I could be, I could be in sweatpants right now. You don't know that. I could be in, in wearing my jorts right now, some jean shorts, and you will never know if that's actually what I'm wearing. Or I could be in slacks. You'll never know. We need to hear things repeatedly that don't come naturally to us. And the fact that we find Jesus saying, take heart over these past few weeks, repeatedly on Jesus's lips, shows us something about how Jesus sees us and sees the human condition. Jesus sees that to take heart, courage, boldness, these things do not come naturally to us. And so we need to be repeatedly called into them to take heart. Jesus' repeated use of take heart also shows his claim that that take heart, that courage that we need that does not come naturally, can only come in who he is and what he's done. And that's what we've been looking at. That's what we're going to continue to look at in these following two weeks. Today, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. I said last week was my favorite of all of them. And then this week, um, this one was is now it's my favorite. Uh, it's my favorite take heart. And so uh, we're going to look at this one in the story of Bartimaeus, Mark 1046. We're going to read uh, a couple, like a verse, a couple words at a time and just kind of make our way through the passage today. Uh, it's it's a, another reminder, another call for Jesus to, when he tells us to take heart. Jesus calls us to take heart. And the, the basis of that take heart is that Jesus is calling you to take heart, that he is calling you. And the good news is, is that Jesus is not calling you on Zoom, but, but an actual embodied summoning to himself. So let's pray, and then we'll look at Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And so, Father, 
Well, we thank you uh, for uh, the technology that's, uh, that allows for us to have these moments, uh, even in the midst of our separation right now. Uh, and I know as much as many of us are just tired of looking at screens, I'm tired and exhausted of teaching, this, teaching the Bible and not being able to do that um, as, as a gathered community. It just is getting um, just exhausting. And so my prayer is that your spirit would meet us through this passage as we gather together in a new way. Bind us together as a community, even as we're separated. And may we hear Jesus calling us, like Bartimaeus, to take heart and to hear that he's calling us. Let me pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. Mark writes, And they, being Jesus and the disciples, came to the city of Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So we'll stop here. The story opens with Jesus and his disciples passing through the city of Jericho. This huge crowd picks up as they make their way through the city that's now following them. And we are introduced to the main character of this little story, Bartimaeus whose whole life unfolds in our imagination if we slowly read over it in just a sentence. We read that Bartimaeus is blind. He's a man who's experienced physical suffering, some accident or by birth or some disease that something has brought physical suffering. Because of that disease this or, or this, um, this handicap, whatever language you want to use, because he cannot see, he is also a beggar. He is not just physically suffering, but has economic suffering. He is both unemployed and unemployable due to his blindness. And he tells us that Bartimaeus is the son of Timaeus. Now, this comes together in, in a bunch of stuff that we have to pay attention to for a handful of reasons. First off, it's rare to see names of those being healed in the Gospels. Uh, in Mark's Gospel, this is the only time we find someone's name given on the basis of who's being healed. The person being healed, his name is Bartimaeus. It gets, it were, it, if we're reading through Mark's gospel and we've been going through all these healing stories, you know, we're talking about the bleeding woman or the paralyzed man, to hear that now we have Bartimaeus is a red flag of attention. Okay, that's, that, the name's important. This is worth paying attention to. Similarly, not only does it, is it rare for us to get the name, and that's surprising, but the fact that his name is repeated what I mean by this is his name, Bar Timaeus, the word Bar in Aramaic is, is son. So his name is Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus. And then he repeats himself, Bar Timaeus, the blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. If you were hearing this being spoken in, in Aramaic, it would just be Bar Timaeus, the blind beggar, Bar Timaeus. He repeats himself repeatedly. And so the question is, so he's the son of Timaeus. We have this repeated use of Timaeus. What's going on here? Well, who is Timaeus? The question is not who, but what, when we get into what Timaeus means. For those of you that have read the Bible for any amount of time, you know how important someone's name is to their identity. In our day and age, we kind of just throw names out of kind of what sounds cute. We look through the baby name book. In, in this time, your name was a huge part of your identity of who you were and what you belong to. And so the question is not just who is Timaeus, that Bartimaeus is the son of, but what is the meaning of Timaeus? When you look at it in the Aramaic, Timaeus is translated as unclean, as worthless, as poor, and even as filthy. 
And so here from the get-go, we have twice repeated this name, Bartimaeus. We find our main character is the son of worthlessness, a blind beggar, the son of worthlessness, who was sitting by the roadside. You see, his name is his identity, that he's blind beggar who is a son of worthlessness. It's all coming together that we understand who he is. And all of this leads to not just physical suffering and economic suffering, but social suffering, social exclusion and isolation, where it tells us that Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside, literally the the side of the way. He was sitting wayside. He's literally on the sidelines of this movement that's happening around Jesus. Like the past few weeks in our Take Heart series, do you see a pattern developing? Focus on someone who's vulnerable, needy, powerless, and hopeless. It's no coincidence. The Gospels are not only recording the story of Bartimaeus and each of those other healings that we've seen, but are packaging all of these together around these take heart sayings so that we might hear this for ourselves, that we might hear that this is our story as much as it is Bartimaeus. We are the people on the side of the road in need of forgiveness and healing. You see, in past seasons of my teaching, I would have to spend huge portions of my teaching just trying to point out how you are like Bartimaeus, how you are like the suffering woman, or how you are like the paralyzed man, whatever it might be, the the, the, the calling people to see that they are vulnerable, that they have a deep need. And normally I'd have to do this. In this moment, I, I don't have to spend as much time talking about that. You see, pandemics, the economic fallout, even earthquakes this past week, We feel our vulnerability in our bones, in our wallets, in literally the ground that we walk on. We are so, so vulnerable that we are a moment away from not just blindness, but death. We are blind beggars. And this idea that we too are all sons and daughters of worthlessness, of uncleanness, of filth, of of what has been done by us and what has been done to us, this idea in the Bible of sin, you being locked up either by yourself or with your family or your spouse, whoever you might be, a roommate might be locked up in, it is it revealing to you what maybe you've been able to hide under compulsive running around for the past few years is you're realizing how selfish, how prideful, how arrogant, how deceptive, how how controlling and manipulative, how, whatever it might be, fearful and anxious, all of those compulsive behaviors that normally you're able to hide under productivity and just driving around constantly is now being revealed. And we realize all of this together, this season, is not just that we're being called to be like Bartimaeus. You see, this moment does not make us like Bartimaeus. This moment reveals how much we always are like Bartimaeus. We are all blind, seg- uh, blind beggars on the side of the road. And the thing is, it's those of us who don't see this that are blinder than Bartimaeus. See, the reality is until we lose heart in our own strength, our own resources, either willingly or by force, until we can move toward Jesus with a posture of need, then we're not ready to receive him. Or as Jesus put it in the opening words of his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Until we acknowledge our place as being poor in spirit. Not as something that we have to do, but something that's already true about us. It's just will will we name that as being true? The kingdom of heaven is, is not available to us. And so all of this is just coming together. We need to see ourselves in this story 
as Bartimaeus being an, an example for us, not only of who we are, but what we should do. And that's what leads us to continue reading in verses 47 and 48, where it says, And when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, Bartimaeus begins to cry out. It's all Bartimaeus can do. It's all anyone can do who's a blind beggar on the roadside is to yell and cry out. But there's a complication. And it's the crowd's exclusion. They rebuke him. They tell him to be silent. These people are here for a nice afternoon, a little walk with Jesus to hear some parable, some teaching that they can, you know, chew on for the afternoon and then go about their week and pretend that they never really heard anything from him in the first place. They're here for a nice religious afternoon with Jesus and it's being ruined by this beggar on the wayside who smells bad. He's holding up his cardboard sign and he's crying out and they're telling him to be quiet, to be silent, to be invisible. So you and I may read this and ask, how dare they treat Bartimaeus as less than? But the question is, is how often do you pretend not to see someone, to not care about them, to be skeptical of their actual need, to prioritize your schedule and what you want over the vulnerable around you. See, we are both the crowds who neglect the needy and the beggar in need within this story. The reality of the human heart is that there is no wall and divide between the crowds and the beggar, but that line runs through each human heart. For those of you who are in need right now, the question is, what's keeping you from him? Specifically, my friends, that maybe you're here and you don't identify as a Christian and you've been chewing on this. You've been trying to get a look at Jesus closer. What's been keeping you from getting to him? Maybe like Bartimaeus, it's actually the followers of Jesus who get in the way of you seeing him. Maybe like you're blind like Bartimaeus, that you've heard stories about Jesus, but you've never seen him for yourself. Maybe that rebuke and call to silence, to quit looking for Jesus is not coming from the crowds of Jesus' followers, but from within from this dark inner critic who reminds you of your identity as an unclean, filthy child. What is it that separates you from getting to Jesus? And for those of you that identify as a follower of Jesus, you too are the beggar in need. What's keeping you from getting to Jesus this week? And at the same time, how are you guilty of being the crowd, of overlooking the vulnerable in need because they get in the way of what you want to do. You could argue that many churches that are hell-bent on gathering in the midst of this are doing the same thing as the crowd here. We don't care about the vulnerable. We don't care about those who are in need. What we want is to go back to our normal way of life. When, when Jesus seems um, impossible to get to, when crowds of Jesus' followers are getting in the way, or... Um, um, your own self-identity or your blindness, when, when all of these things are getting in the way, Bartimaeus exemplifies for us what we can and do, and that is that we cry out all the more. Being persistent in the face of the pushback, Bartimaeus knows if there is any hope for him, it is Jesus, and so he is calling out all the more. Bartimaeus calls out, but these people around him are trying to shut him up. He keeps calling out to him, but what is Jesus' response to Bartimaeus? Will he, like this crowd, choose to see him as invisible? Will Jesus keep walking? Will he pretend not to hear him? 
Well, he shrugs. Sorry, I don't carry any cash on me. What is Jesus' response? Look at me in verses 49 and 50. It says, And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Man, you could do a whole teaching on Jesus stopped. That if Jesus is the God of the universe revealed to us in person, the God revealed to us in Jesus is the one who stops when he hears the cry of the vulnerable and the needy. He's the God who stops. <laughs> and so Jesus stops, and he not only stops, but he calls Bartimaeus. But what do you think caught Jesus' attention? In a moment, we're going to see that he points to his faith. And so it seems as though it's not simply just Bartimaeus' calling that causes him to stop and to call him, but specifically how Bartimaeus calls him. And it is that title, Son of David. You see, one of the things this story is, is it's a story of names. Two times we had Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus. And here we have two times Bar David, son of David, son of David. We have it twice repeated. The odds are that Bartimaeus was calling out son of David multiple times. Son of David, have mercy on me. Have, son of David is calling out over and over again. If he said it once, the people probably didn't tell him to be quiet. It was probably something he was repeating, but David just gives it to us once. And then he repeats, son of David, son of Bartimaeus. He repeats it twice. It's even stranger that this is the only time where Jesus is addressed as the son of David in Mark's gospel. And so there's, again, there's just like Bartimaeus's name, this son of David title, there's something going on here that's worth looking into that reveals who Bartimaeus sees Jesus as. So who is the son of David? Who does Bartimaeus think Jesus is? Like we've been looking at over the past few weeks, these take heart moments are bringing out people's understanding of who Jesus is. We saw uh, one woman who her dwelling on the scriptures revealed a, a deeper understanding. As she looked back at the Hebrew scriptures at the Old Testament, she understood who Jesus was better. And the argument is that that's exactly what's happening with Bartimaeus here. Him calling, him calling out son of David, where does it take us back to? It takes us back to a couple of places. The first is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13, when it says, God speaks to King David and he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. It's language of like a, like a temple where God's dwelling place is. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever an offspring, a son of David who will have a forever kingdom. It keeps happening throughout the scriptures, but another good place just to look at is Ezekiel 34, 22. This is generations after David and his son have died, but God says, I will rescue my flock, Israel. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So this Son of David, this offspring of David, servant of David, it, it, David becomes a way of talking about a family name and not just a, a lineage family, but one later son of David who is the servant David. It becomes this poetic way of talking about this grandson of David to come. It all comes together in this movement and expectation in Isaiah 35. 
an expectation of who this son of David, this king would be when it promises one will come who will say to those who have an anxious heart, Isaiah 35, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. See, the irony of the story is the blind man sees Jesus for who he really is. Like the bleeding woman looking for healing in the wings of the son of righteousness from a few weeks ago. These people's meditation in their brokenness that they just kept reading and meditating or, or in Bartimaeus' example, uh, hearing the scriptures taught and, and thought about that their meditation on these promises of scripture have enlightened them to see Jesus for who he really is as the son of David who has come with the forever kingdom, who is the good shepherd, who is God saving the world, who has come to heal the blind and say to anxious people, take heart. You see, Son of David in this title is the whole promise and expectation of the scriptures. And for Bartimaeus as a blind man, it all comes into a head when that Messiah has come to meet his deep need, who has come to heal the blind. And so Jesus sees someone who knows him for who he really is. And so he calls the crowd. This is my favorite detail in the whole story is is all over the, the, the score. We have people calling out to Jesus. And Jesus walks over to them or calls them and says, you come over to me. But most of the time he just walks over to them. In this story, Jesus tells the crowd to call Bartimaeus. He says, call him. And, and so the whole question is, why does he do it here? Why is it different? Jesus is making the crowd eat humble pie. Those who just a moment ago were so focused on their little time with Jesus that they were pushing the vulnerable and the needy out to the sides and telling them to be silent. Jesus now gives them humble pie and says, I want you to call him. And they have to reconfigure their understanding of what today is all about. That it's not about them, it's about the needy. Jesus, instead of chastising them, just does an even uh, something even worse than rebuking them. He makes them now welcome in the person that they were casting out. And so they part the way and they call him and they give him these words. There's a cool parallel between Jesus's words, the crowd's call here and Bartimaeus's response. It's really just, it's, it's almost, it just repeats itself. The call to Bartimaeus is get up. And so it says he springs up. It says he is calling you. And so he came to Jesus And then take heart, that word we've been looking at, boldness, don't be afraid, heart like iron. Take heart is parallel with he threw off his cloak. And so why is throwing off his cloak something of interest? See, cloak for someone in this time was their jacket, was their blanket, was their bedroll. For him, it was what he was sleeping on every single night. It was what kept him warm. It was his only true possession. And it was also a sign of his identity as a beggar. You see, his cloak would be what was spread out in front of him each day as he was asking for money, asking for alms. It was his styrofoam cup. It was his tin can. As you slowly read through this passage and you imagine the story of him springing up and his cloak coming off, the idea being that there maybe being some coins that people have been giving him is not only does the cloak get tossed off, but coins run and bounce across Jericho Road. 
You see, this story is about Jesus calling Bartimaeus three times in this little passage. It gets repeated right there. Jesus says, call him. And they called him saying, he is calling you. Repeatedly, this calling word, this it's the, it's the word we get our word phone from, phoneo. He's calling, he's summoning, he's reaching out to you. And so the question is, is he's not just calling Bartimaeus here. The reality is the resurrected Jesus is still calling people today and he's calling you. The question is, do you hear him calling you? Do you see Jesus for who he really is? Have you sprung up and come to him? Have you thrown off your cloak? And for you, what is your cloak? For Bartimaeus, it's literally his cloak. Back in just a couple verses ago, in chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, if you read through it, is the story of a rich young ruler, someone like Bartimaeus, who comes to Jesus looking to be his follower, looking for him to lead him in the good way. And Jesus says, you've done well. The one thing that remains is for you, not to throw off your cloak, but for you to sell all that you have. See, Jesus sees exactly what this man's cloak was, what his identity statement was, what was the thing that marked him in this life. First, it may be riches, it may be power, it may be approval, it may be comfort or control, work or independence, pleasure, sexuality or religion, some relationship, some image that you have of yourself that is your cloak. It is the way that you have found to exist within the world in the midst of your brokenness. And the reality is, as long as you keep that cloak in your lap, All Jesus can offer you is spare change. The cloak must be tossed aside in order for Jesus to heal. For Barnabas, it was literally a cloak. For you and me, what is it? Some idealized picture of yourself or of the world? Relationships, work, what what is it for you that is that source of existing? And what would it look like for you to toss it off? Because like I said, as long as we hold on to that cloak, all Jesus can offer us is spare change. But if we get up and we actually come to him, there's something far more wonderful available. Verses 51 and 52, as we begin to wrap it up together. Bartimaeus casts off his cloak. He comes to Jesus, verse 51, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. The cloak is cast off. The son of Timaeus comes before the son of David. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? The crowd excluded and told him to shut up. Jesus welcomes and says, God in flesh to the homeless beggar, what can I do for you? And so Bartimaeus goes for broke. He says, uh, rabbi, or, or, or actually it's not simply just the word rabbi, but in the Greek that he's writing, it's rabunai, which is actually a stronger, it's a leveling up of not just saying teacher, but it's saying my teacher, my master. It is a personal authority. It's actually used oftentimes in Jewish prayers of the day where you would refer to the creator God as not just rabbi, my teacher, but as my master, my teacher, my rabbunai. Again, the irony here that Bartimaeus is the blind man and he's seeing Jesus better than anybody else in the crowd. And so he has this authority in Jesus. He says, let me recover my sight. Heal me of my economic, physical, social, everything holistically. Let me recover my sight. Even in some connections we've talked about that the spiritual and physical is so connected here that that physical ailments were also linked to the presence of sin within someone's life. And so whatever it is that's brought him here, he's saying, all of it, I want you to heal me of it all. 
And Jesus says, go, go, your faith has made you well. Go your way, your faith has made you well. This made you well, as we've been talking about in all these other healing stories of the past few weeks, is this uh, Greek word again that Mark writes in is, is sozo. It's not just the word for healing, it's the word for salvation. That in, in Jesus's day and age, and speaking in Greek, is that those things are unified together. Mark, in writing this, these things are unified in their mind together. It is wholeness and healing, both physically and spiritually. It's a holistic healing that's catalyzed through faith. It was the same for the bleeding woman. It was the same is made you well that was spoken over her and over the paralyzed and over us. That there is physical, spiritual, holistic healing available to us. And it comes through faith. But what faith is he talking about here? I'm going to read, trying to summarize this well this week. I, I, I'm just going to read somebody who did it really, really well. Um, Christopher D. Marshall, in his book, uh, Faith as a Theme in Mark's Narrative, if that sounds like riveting reading, um, it's actually, I was really bummed looking for it because it's like $80. It's, 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 you know, really big academic book you can't find anywhere. But it's actually really um, readable. I found it online for free. Uh, and that it was just my little grace this week, and I got to read it. It's so good. It's, it's, he just summarizes what faith is the faith that leads to healing here, and it's just worth reading. It says this, In these ways, Mark portrays Bartimaeus' faith as grounded upon a true intuitive apprehension of Jesus' person and mission. Though blind, he has concluded that Jesus bears God's prophesied and awaited mercy. Consequently, all his hope had been centered on a personal meeting with him. It is this messianic component, him seeing Jesus as the son of David, as the Messiah, that sets saving faith apart from a simple trust in the power of a wonder worker. The strength of Bartimaeus' confidence in Jesus is apparent in the persistence of his crying out for mercy. His incessant pleading aggravates the crowd and many try to silence him, but to no avail. Their attempt serves only to confirm the beggar's faith. In this case, it is not only his perseverance in crying out that proves his faith. It is also the way he, so to speak, goes on the offensive against all discouragement by crying out all the more. You see, all of this story comes together as a picture of what the faith that heals is. It is one that sees Jesus as the son of David, as the healing king, as Rabunai, as my master and authority, as the one who's able to heal, as the one who's bringing the kingdom of God, as the one who has the strength and the one who, because he is all that, I will stop at nothing to get to him. So I will cry out until I experience him. I will not stop searching until I find him and to realize all the way that he was calling out to me and calling for me to come closer. See, holistic healing is available only to those who need it. And at the end of the day, your only need for healing is need. An unrelenting faith that though I am vulnerable, powerless, and poor, Jesus has all I need, and only he can tell me to take heart. And that healing is available there. So where does Bartimaeus and us with him go from here? Look with me in the last couple of words of chapter or verse 52. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Bartimaeus, like so many of these stories before us, not only finds his faith in Jesus, but then finds that that faith, that healing becomes true and that he is healed and can see. And I love that it says that he followed him on the way. 
Bartimaeus just a moment ago was told by Jesus to go your way. Go your way. Go on your way now. Your faith has made you well. But Bartimaeus follows Jesus on the way. All throughout the Gospel of Mark, you might remember this way back to the beginning when we were looking at this idea of on the, the way or the road as it can be translated is, is this image and metaphor for discipleship. The way is actually what Christianity was first called. It was a sect of Judaism that saw Jesus as the Messiah and that through his crucifixion and death and resurrection that salvation was available to all who came and gave faith and trust to him, that they be, their understanding, what they were called was the way. It's a way of talking about the faith. And so the interesting thing is that, again, Barnabas here is this little picture of what it means to become a disciple of Jesus, is we come to him for healing and we find that when we go our way, our way is actually one of following Jesus. See, the faith that saves, that heals, is also the faith that follows. And so just as we close, one one afternoon, on the side of the road, on the side of the way in Jericho, changed Bartimaeus' life forever, changed his, his way forever. He was blind, but now he sees. He was a beggar on the side of the road. Now he's a disciple following Jesus on the road. The son of David transformed the son of worthlessness. I mentioned at the beginning the importance of names here. You see, Bartimaeus' name was really crucial to understanding, not just who he is, but actually is a little puzzle that I didn't tell you about, but now I will. You see, Timaeus, when we read it in Aramaic, as we understand the story, Bar Timaeus is the son of worthlessness, of filth, unclean. It is, it is all, everything he was experiencing. But if you read it in Greek... And, and still have Bar in Aramaic as being the son of, but in Greek is what the name actually likely was its origin in, was in Greek. Timaeus actually has a completely different meaning. In Greek, Timaeus is rooted in the word, it's translated as what is highly prized. It's treasured, possession. You see, for Mark's original audiences, they would have read through this. Maybe if they were Aramaic speakers, they would have seen the different contrast that this one name can simultaneously mean, depending on who's reading it, the worthless son and the treasured son, the unclean one and the treasured possession. And so the whole question as you're reading through the story is, how is he the highly prized son in his circumstances and situation? Because it actually does seem like he is the son of worthlessness. Do you see the tension, this little moment that's come together in Bartimaeus' name that is the story of the gospel itself? That though you and I are sons and daughters who are blind, vulnerable beggars in all of our deep need and unable to save ourselves, and we hopelessly cry out to Jesus as the son of David, that in him is salvation and healing and a new way to walk and one that we find the name that we've carried for all of our lives is not worthless, but treasured. And, and the sort of person that the God of the universe is willing to stop for. See, it doesn't change the story at all. It just makes it explicit. The story of Bartimaeus is the story of you and me. That though our lives may have told us that we are worthless and unchosen and filthy and broken, when we come to Jesus, we actually find a new identity that turns itself over, a new name of being the treasured possessions of the God who willingly stops, not at who's really impressive, but at those who come to him in a deep place of need. And so as we close, Christians and, and those of you that don't identify alike, 
For those of you that don't identify as a Christian, I just, I want you to hear today that Jesus stops for you in the midst of your suffering and he is calling you. He's calling you and, and wants, to, wants to tell you and give you to, to, to take heart, an invitation to find spiritual, physical healing in him and an invitation to follow him on his way. One of life, one of inclusion in a people no longer sitting by the wayside. For those of you that identify as a Christian, just maybe spend some time acknowledging that even though you may identify as a Christian, you've carried your cloak with you. And, and maybe you identify, you know, as a Christian, but the reality is, is that you're still holding on to that, that, that name of Timaeus is unworthy or that cloak of being some identity of some way of existing within this world. Or maybe you're realizing that you oftentimes look far more like the crowd than like Jesus here when it comes to those who are vulnerable and in need around you. But finally, as like ascending prayer and just meditation, uh, Psalm 34, and I'll pray this over us. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We sought the Lord and he answered and delivered us from all our fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Take refuge in him alone. May you take refuge in him alone. May you taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen and go in peace.